Welcome back to In Our Own Defense Podcast. We're your hosts, Dr. Loris Tarver, and myself, AD, Attorney A.D. Winters. Uh, you know, on this episode, we have Dr. Kurt and we have Miss um, uh, Johnson helping us unpack Am I Ready to Date? Whether it's, you know, this is your first time dating as a youth, you know, this is your, uh, you know, trying to get back up on the horse, so to speak, after you had a bad relationship or closed the relationship out, or uh, you're just trying to figure out and navigate this uh, social media uh, and COVID space that we're all in. Uh, Dr. Tarber, you know, one of the things that, that, that people uh, experience challenges with is uh, they move into a town, but they're still dating somebody back, you know, back home or back where they came from. What is it, you know, I just wonder what are the challenges that people are experiencing as they move to a different location? As you move to a different location, how do you uh, get into the dating scene? What are some of the, the things that, that people are going to do? And I know some people moving, you know, uh, to escape previous relationships, whether it be the toxic uh, nature of it or it just was so heartbreaking and the person moved on and you chose to move on. I think that's something that I'd like to engage uh, with, our, with our panel today. Uh, have you noticed that kind of dynamic location, location, location? Definitely. I, I see people, uh, as you alluded to, moving to get away from relationships frequently because they just feel like if they're in the same place with this person, they will stay in this pattern of start, stop, start, stop. We get back together, we break up, we get back together. And it's just so difficult for them to be able to leave that relationship, even though they know that it's probably not healthy for them anymore. And they're just staying in it because it's comfortable and it's what they know. So I have definitely had clients who relocate for that reason. But as you said, I mean, people move for other reasons. We move for jobs. We move to be closer to our, maybe our aging parents. We may move um, because we want to get out of a city or into a city, uh, various different things. And so, uh, you know, we there are people who move and they're really just trying to figure out, okay, is this relationship going to move with me? Uh, or am I going to be starting something new? And, and moving is a good time for people to start thinking about those dynamics. And so let's um, pose those questions to our guests. We will, uh, how about we start with you, Ms. Uh, Johnson, about what do you think are some of the, the reasons why um, those dynamics occur when people move, whether it's leaving a relationship, trying to figure out if they want to keep that relationship or figuring out if they want to start something new. So I think my perspective is going to be an interesting one, but I do think sometimes women in particular can be conditioned from a very young age to be in a relationship, to be the girlfriend, to be the wife, to strive to be the parent, all of that. And I think sometimes moving is the best way, although it seems dramatic, it is the best way for a woman to kind of disconnect from those realities so that she can then sprout for herself in her own, you know, respective way exploring things i think another thing we often see women do is like cut their hair you know when they're like kind of tired of like uh, you know the beauty standard snip 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 you know and i think that these are very drastic ways of women saying i want to free myself <laughs> i want to kind of expand and see what else kind of sprouts so i do think you see a lot of that movement happening and location and moving because it's very difficult and i think if we talk this is talked about a lot in addictions. I don't have addiction experience, but when you are recovering, it's like you have to revamp your entire, your entire layer of connections. You know, you can't be with the same people. You can't go to the same places. And I don't think we look at love and dating the same way, but love can be an addiction. Dating can be an addiction, that emotion. So sometimes you have to literally 
move. You have to literally change your environment so that you're not triggered 24-7. And depending on how intertwined the families were, now you have a whole nother layer because you and a person can be okay separating, but are your mama still talking? Are you, you know, the cousins and everybody still hanging out? I'm triggered. Anyway, um, you know. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, this, this kind of thing happens and you really do have to, if, you know, if you don't have a strong uh, support system, if you don't have, you know, a lot of these things, moving could be the very best thing to do in order to realign oneself and to really see um, who you are, what you want, what you desire. So I know it, it is dramatic. I'm not saying that it's not dramatic, but <laughs> I am saying sometimes that rebirth is very necessary, especially depending on how severe the conditioning was, how deep those connections were to kind of, you know, be on that pedestal of your only achievement in life is being a wife or being a girlfriend. And then that big relationship ends. So that's my take on that part of the location conversation. And I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> I appreciate that. You tied that into the first segment when we were talking about how families can get involved in relationships in our dating. You tied that back into like, sometimes we just need to get away from y'all uh, so that we can actually move forward and be in healthy relationships. Uh, Dr. Kurt? So what shows up for me um, as, I, as I ponder over this question is that um, and I use it myself, moving from Chicago to Atlanta 20 years ago, I think we moved for one big conscious reasons and about 20 unconscious and subconscious reasons, uh, all in the same trip, so to speak, uh, for whatever it is, uh, new opportunities, uh, new jobs or whatever. I always encourage people to leave home. Yeah, even if you're winning on your home court, see if you can win on the away court or on the road. If nothing else for the experience, if you're blessed with a mama who still has a home in your hometown, then you still good, right? Uh, but get out there. It's 8 billion people and sift, sort, and select, uh, whatever that is. Just be mindful that you get to take you wherever you go. So the work must and will be done Uh until it costs you. And so I know a lot of people who kind of run away from things and they get to the new location and then the work is there and outside agencies have to get involved because they failed to do some of the earlier work based on some of the challenges they had before they move. But just in generally speaking, I move. What, what, it's a good thing to kind of just see uh, what's out there. Now, in terms of breaking up and using that as just to put some space in between, uh, whether that's with the family and then I encourage people to go to counseling to disperse. There are counselors to help people disperse. Uh, we know about it when it comes to divorce and stuff, but even in relationships, like to kind of put, put some mediation and things in there to help you. I work with a lot of couples and they're like, okay, so we're looking to properly, respectfully disperse. And I think that that may bring some things yeah. uh, to the head when people decide to jump. Because quite frankly, I also deal with, with people who have abandoned folks. Like not only did I leave the relationship for my reasons, but I brought the kids with me <laughs> and I ain't tell you. So it's a lot of dynamics when it comes to relocating. I just think that there should be a way uh, where it's not causing harm and damage to the people that you are called to be responsible for. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, appreciate both of your responses. Uh, attorney winners know I like a good plug for therapy. <laughs> um, so you, you have you have done that. But you know, we also like wordplay. And you said sift, sort, and select, uh, which <laughs> I just wanted to go ahead and say amen to that. Uh, but but I, but I think you two both hit on uh, what Attorney Winters was trying to get at with his question, which is like we do move for different reasons, uh, but sometimes we are running. And when we're running, we do need to not run. We need to stop, sort that out, figure out what is exactly I'm trying to escape from. And is there a way for me to do that in a healthy way? Mm -hmm. uh, whether that's uh, we have children, we don't have children, or I just need to be able to let go of some hurt and pain from past relationships before I take them into new ones. Um, but then also, yeah, sometimes we just need to be in a new place, new start, new people. Yeah. And that that's also something that is a healthy thing too, mm -hmm. that we don't stay stuck in maybe some of our old, our old patterns. Um, I mean, uh, I think that's where vacations can also be like helpful, like staycations, going away, mm -hmm. kind of having that scheduled enough where you can kind of get an opportunity to, yeah. you know, be away and maybe not move. So that could also come into play and help. There. So that we don't have to run away. We can actually just just take a vacation. <laughs> take a little <laughs> right. break. I appreciate that. Um, so to move on to the next question, um, you know, we we have talked about family dynamics and kind of brought that in and we know that we are our parents' kids uh, and we take on the positives of them and we also take on some of their challenges. Sometimes that's funny and sometimes it makes us cringe, um, maybe both. But how are we affected by, um, to get into a little bit more detail, those dynamics of people that raised us or that were around us when we were growing up in terms of us dating? Because we know we do what we see. Uh, so what are, what are some of the things that you all have seen and how can we help our viewers kind of unpack some of the things they may not even be aware of that they're doing because they saw them possibly as they were developing in their own identity as, as people that will date later in life? You go for it, Dr. Kerb. <laughs> so thank you, uh, Ms. Johnson. Um, so, you know, the, the idea of uh, your parents of being your first teachers is a huge one uh, for me. I often share uh, with people whom I interact um, that most times the parent who is around the most does the most damage, right? Um, and so the absent parent is the one that oftentimes bring a lot of the blind spots through, through, through absence. And so it's that funny combination that has us show up differently because we relate how we were related to generally speaking. And so oftentimes, you know, I work with people who have great upbringings, their providers were great, um, but they still lack severe relational skills, right? Because they have this standard, like, you know, and there's no perfect upbringing, right? There's no perfect upbringing, but you, relationships is the number one personal development program. You will get exposed, no exceptions. The good thing is, how? Because there's some good exposure that you didn't even know existed in you. There's some things that will cause you to self-express that would be some good exposure along with the other exposure that you may or may not have dealt with. And so our parents or even our aunts and uncles, uh, all the adults around how they relate, that, that's a huge impact on us because we carry that back here and we show up to how we. I know women who have never looked out at men outside of being objectified. I have men that same way, you know, I have pressure. So uh, that has to be unpacked and it will be unpacked in your thirties and in the event 
uh, that you were fortunate enough to be in a relationship in your 30s without doing that recovery work, you will get exposed in your 40s. Absolutely. Um, that's a good point about like, you know, how we relate to who we see and that absent parent, that concept is so real because <laughs> I see that a lot with my, my teens, you know, when parents get really frustrated because they're like, they're putting their dad or their mom on a pedestal and she's not here. And I'm like, well, it's because that absent, you know, the absent presence makes them, keeps them in the fantasy about what that relationship would be like. And it, and I think too, when we talk about relationships, I think we do kind of live in a very fantasy type of, you know, uh, thought process. And when we look at family and then when you look at social media, there, there are a lot of gaps in between reality. You know, the reality we're not really kind of talking about. It's like we see the family stuff and then sometimes you have family members who don't necessarily tell you all of the things that they had to sacrifice for certain relationships. And so you think you do all of this, you know, it's a big thing I hear like, oh, why women, you know, don't cook like grandma, you know, and they don't do all these things. And it's just like, well, the dynamic culturally and economically, you know, years ago is completely different today. Is that the only way you want to boil your relationship down to? And so I do think there is a lot of conversation that we have to have about, okay, things are different, but why are they different? You know, and my grandmom did these things, but why did she have to do those things? Am I, you know, do I want to be in the same boat? Do I want to have something different? And I think that's a hard conversation because a lot of I know in communities that I work with, they don't like to share the history and they don't want to share what they went through. They just want to set their kids off on a better path, but they're not telling them what they went through through that better path. And I think mm -hmm. that education is the best indicator of how to move forward. And I think we're lacking some of that in our families to really help our children and our youth make better relationship decisions because we're also telling them if you go down path A, that could happen or path B, this could happen. It's just kind of like, don't do that. And so I do think that there's room there um, in our families to have more conversation about what comes with choosing lane A, choosing lane B, and being honest. I know you see your aunt and I, we've done this, but you have other options. There are other things to do. Um, so I think I would like to see that happen a little bit more in families in terms of dating. And if it's not being offered, maybe ask for it. I think... Um... I think the family dynamic is naturally going to be strong. And like Dr. Tarver said, like there was this, um, I think a Geico commercial where we're turning into our parents. So we start doing things in our <laughs> homes. And we're FaceTiming up and down. Exactly. Uh, and, and we know the, uh, the, the familial influence on that. Uh, one of the things that, that always comes from this is uh, inside of the culture, inside of the African-American culture experience and uh, mm -hmm. uh, that we seem to all experience at some level, though we're not monolithic, we have certain core things that are happening to us as we experience America, uh, is one of the things that Kanye West, <laughs> and before you cringe at me quoting Kanye West, okay. he had a song with Jamie Foxx called Gold Digger. And inside the song, you know, he's like, and when he gets on, he leaves your ass for a white girl. And in, in that song, when he uses that phraseology, it resonated with, with uh, most people who experienced blackness in, uh, in this country. And it experienced, uh, especially us HBCUers or uh, are just being a, a black professional. And we watch that. We watch how if a, if a, if a sister comes home uh, with someone outside of her race, white or uh, um, Asian, uh, uh, then she's looked upon as an 
oh lord what what is happening and if a, a, a black guy the stereotype is that a black guy makes five dollars and he goes and gets with a white girl um but but my question is when are we ready to date outside of our race what i know our family may have a problem with that but what's wrong with it I, I, if if there's so many problems uh that we seem to have in dating based on social media what's wrong with with someone dating outside of their race uh are we ready to do that on a mass scale dr kurt and then i'll bring it to you uh, miss johnson uh so a couple things uh well first and foremost i'm unapologetically black i'm from a black woman i'm raised by a black woman i'm from a black man uh i'm black power all the way uh, but with that saying, uh, I, realistically, is the world is everything. It's all inclusive, and we do have the right, you know, to date outside our cultures. You know, I think we limit it to just race, and that term is a different maker for me. But there's a bunch of cultures that I think that we have yet to explore culturally: brown, black, white, any anything of that. And so I often encourage people to see how you show up in other cultures or the ethnicities to see how you show up. Now, statistically, we know that the majority of black men are men and have babies with black women. That's a fact, right? And so I don't think it's such a big thing where uh, I am in any position to denounce it. I, so I work with men. Um, who have had experiences dating a variety of women. And that, you know, clarity brings contrast. Contrast brings clarity. Uh, and ultimately, they end up having Black wives and, 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 and obviously doing, having Black families. Um, you, you asked the question, uh, Attorney Winters, about when are we ready? I don't think we are ready. I think we're ready to be ready, but you don't become ready until you kind of do that. Ready to be ready, meaning you're open and willing, right? Um, and I don't think anything is wrong with that. I encourage people to go to a different side of town, try some new activities, botanical garden, things that you normally wouldn't show. You know where your black folk gonna be. So if you're talking about dating, go somewhere different and see what that has to offer for you. Because oftentimes you can date with someone from another cultural race. It may not get to the intimacy level, but it could just be fine with going out to dinner with someone from a whole different, so you can get some insight on how we all go through a lot of the same thing on a basic level. No, I think that's fascinating. And I, and I, I definitely agree that that exposing ourselves in, in that, trying, uh, that unfamiliar space so we can grow uh, I think it's a great first step to that. Uh, but I like what you said about uh, we're ready to be ready. Uh, do you agree, uh, Ms. Johnson, about the ready to be ready and, and, and navigating the space kind of incrementally? Um, so I think a lot of the frustration that you hear from Black women and Black men about the opposite is, just, is that they actually want each other. It's just mm -hmm. that they, to me, don't feel maybe validated or appreciated in the journey. And I think because Black people in general tend to have, we have a lot of weight on our shoulders, right? Generationally speaking, it's so much to unpack. And so I don't think that Black people are really coming to dating with an even uh, playing field at times. I think we're coming with a lot of baggage and we're coming with a lot of weight on our shoulders. And I think that becomes difficult for the other person that still has weight too to try to unpack at the same time and try to help sure. you navigate unpacking. Like, I think, I think that more or less is what's happening when that conversation comes up about. And so I think when Kanye West makes that reference or all the black men on black Twitter make that 
reference is because the idea is I'm going to go get with someone who doesn't have as much baggage, who may not really challenge me in certain ways, and it's kind of a different uh, playing field in how I'm engaging in the relationship. Now, I don't necessarily think that that's like a right or wrong, because I do think relationships should have a level of ease, but I do think part of that conversation is just frustration that you know both parties have a lot on their shoulders to navigate and to deal with and i think that that can make it difficult to relate and have a relationship um and so i think that that was just kind of my very my my initial thought so i think people say a lot of that out of frustration and they really don't want to go into the other uh interracial dating pond if that makes sense um but I really don't know if there's necessarily an answer there because I do think we live in a society where there is just a lot of trauma and there has been a lot of trauma. And I think it's just very hard to unpack that trauma and then to kind of, you know, live holistically. I think we're all on the journey, but I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's a difficult one. So. Well, Dr. Tarver, what I heard them both say, what all of this trauma and trauma, <laughs> the black on black love experiences, <laughs> to just go outside their race. At least one person won't have this perceived trauma. But mm -hmm. I, I, I said it in jest because I, I do believe that both points are extremely valid and they are some of the trepidation that people experience. I think Dr. Kerr offers a, you know, a, method, a method of walking into that, that new space and seeing uh, again, everything doesn't have to lead to intimacy. It could just be we want to experience things. And Ms. Janae, uh, Ms. Johnson, you you hit the nail on the head. As, as we, Dr. Tarver and I had several shows, we talked about these things in, in various orders. And I think that a lot of times we have to give it, you, while you don't want to bleed on somebody that didn't do this to you, but we're naturally just oozing blood. That's a gaping wound of racism that exists. And so compound that with COVID, compound that with the fear of losing everything that we call ourselves building, you know, compound all of that frustration and put it in a ball and say, hey, go interact is extremely challenging. Uh, and so sometimes it may feel easier to go outside of it. But I think the normal rules, you guys would all have to agree that all of the rules of dating still apply, irrespective. That's another human being, like you're a human being. And you guys want that, that ultimate human experience that we all want to feel safe, loved, cared for, uh, and an ability to be supported and achieved. So, uh, you know, Dr. Tarver, I know that was a lot, but I want to make sure we allow you to have a question there. Yeah, that, that um, I think is always a tough conversation about mm -hmm. us dating outside of our ethnicity. Um, Dr. Kirk mentioned being unapologetically Black, and I think a lot of times we struggle with what it would mean for us to date outside are we abandoning um, these people who look like us and share our experience uh, but I don't think we can have this conversation without talking about some trauma so thank you all for your segue into my question um, which because we all know that and in, in, in a lot of times we dance around this issue but but we know that our early sexual experiences also affect how we date and who we date uh, and I have definitely had people say, when I asked them the question of, um, when was your first sexual encounter? The babysitter, um, my cousin, my nephew, um, my sister, my aunt, my, right? So people are, um, I, I watched porn. I had older cousins that were doing things. I saw my parents having sex. Um, and, and oftentimes those are things that also affect not only uh, our dating preferences, but also maybe some aversions to people 
uh, where I've had folks say, uh, I don't like to date people of a certain ethnicity because I connect that with a perpetrator earlier in my life. Um, or the way that I look at, Dr. Kurt alluded to this earlier, the way I look at relationships comes from this place of a very sexualized one where I see partners as sexual objects. I don't see them as people uh, because the way I was introduced to, to sexuality was uh, when I was too young to really even consent or, or to understand what exactly was happening, but it shaped me. It altered my mind in a way that now I look at relationships different. Um, so can you all talk about just how these early sexual experiences, particularly those that may have been unwanted, um, uh, affect us in our dating experiences? Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and start. They, they shape us, like you said, very early on. And I think without the room to process and without the room to explore, you know, what happened, that it wasn't okay, you know, how they felt about it, they really can continue to manifest in a way that can be really harmful to people. And I do think if we look at this culturally, right, there, there's two sides of the coin here. A guy having, you know, intercourse and sexual encounters with someone older, is seen as a good thing. You know, it's, you did well, you know, you got that, this older woman, and on the, on the flip, right, girls get called fast, and they get called all kinds of names. So I really have an issue with the messaging that we send out just on a higher level around sexual experiences, because a child is a child. <laughs> a child is a child, right? And I think we have to stop that messaging, like literally stop it because it also impacts boys. And I don't think that we're taking a closer look at that. You know, I'm glad that girls get, you know, attention, but we need to take a closer look at boys and how that messaging impacts their self-esteem and their identity and what they think they can offer in relationships. Because from my experience, I think a lot of boys that, you know, become men will then feel that they only have that to offer. And then they will continue to objectify or be, you know, objectified, right, in these situations because that's it. You know, someone I trusted took advantage of me. Now I don't trust anyone. Now I don't do this. And so I do think our early experiences, and I think we need to be more, my thoughts are running fast here, but I do think we need to be more sex positive. I don't think we're really sex positive when we're talking to youth about what sex is, what it means. Um, it's very secretive. You know, we uphold purity culture, you know, in a lot of religions. And I think if we have a more open conversation about sex, um, being positive about it, let's education, the education of it. I think people are afraid if they tell teens about it, they're going to go do it. No, because if you tell them about diseases and all of these other things, and more than likely, they're going to make healthier choices. Um, so I do believe that we should be looking to have more sex positive conversations um, and conversations that aren't about fear so that our youth feel empowered even when they're younger to make certain decisions so that they're empowered when things happen to them. And if we're talking about sexual experiences that they didn't want, um, I think the family has a very large responsibility because a lot of the time secrets eat at the family. So what happens in this house stays in this house, eats at the family. And I think we don't pay attention to the messaging where it's like if your daughter comes to you and tells you Uncle Joe or someone did something, Uncle Joe still shouldn't have access to that child. The conversation shouldn't be leave the door open or don't go near him. The conversation should be he's not welcome here anymore. But I think then there's a familial piece where we don't know what to do to cut certain people out of our family. And I think we have to 
look more at protecting our children versus being afraid of this family member um, being disconnected from the family. So a lot of layers there, but I definitely feel we need to believe youth when they tell us something inappropriate happened. We need to be having conversations with them about what is inappropriate. We need to disconnect from the secrets and the what happens in this house stays in this house. And I think we need to level the playing field of sexual messaging between boys and girls, and it should be sex positive. I appreciate that just that. If, well, I gave you a lot, so I just right. kind of um, threw that right at you. But, but I think you helped with two things. One, to yeah, how do we talk with kids about sex, right? So we, we know that things are happening to our, our babies out here. Um, but how do we talk to them about healthy sexual relationships as opposed to um, making them think sex is some kind of magical uh, experience and we're trying to keep it away from them? Um, they need to have information so they can be um, informed and make informed choices. But then also you mentioned that culture of silence that happens in families where when there are abuse things that happen, we don't speak up, we don't protect our kids. Um, one, set up prevention, but two, also intervene when something does happen. So I appreciate uh, that. Dr. Kurt? Wow. <laughs> yeah, so that's a lot. Uh, thank you for the question. Thank you. That's how I roll, uh, Dr. Kurt. Give you a whole bunch. Yeah, yeah, I see. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sweating. I'm sweating it here. Okay, so, I, you know, I, I, off the top, I think sex is a topic that should be ongoingly discussed, period, just as any other subject. And it shouldn't necessarily be dramatized or anything besides just politics, sex, music, sports, right up there, uh, to take the difficult sting out of it, uh, starting uh, at a very young age now. You know, I'm 49, so we had to work to get exposure. Now, our seven-year-olds, they click on to get exposure. So there's a lot of things that are differently, but on a basic level as adults, as caregivers, as providers, I think that we owe it to the young people, to family in general, to have an ongoing healthy conversation regarding sex. Ongoing, uh, so that we can all grow into the naturalness of what that means, what that looks like. Because let's face it, you could have started, waited. I don't know of anybody who started off with a, just a 100% secure sexual first, second, or third experience. Now, I'm not suggesting that it was traumatized, but there was some growth that took place whether you waited, uh, and there's also some things that happened if you got started too early. But the funny thing about it is I've known people who have abstained for sex until later on, but still was exposed to sex indirectly, which was just as traumatizing. So they didn't necessarily engage in the sexual act, but they, they watched porn at a very young age, or they saw some people, right? So that, that trauma kind of caused them to fall back on actually doing it, but they still was curious enough to put themselves in an exposure um, position. Then there's conditioning about how we raise girls versus boys. Sex is a big one. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be raised again by a black mama who came out the gates talking about sex. This is what's natural. This is what tell me everything. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. This is how you protect yourself and things of that nature to the point where it was just another topic, like what we eating for dinner like my and she would bring it up and so i'm you know i'm fortunate that i had a mom uh that kind of brought that out it didn't help <laughs> to the degree that i still was on my own trajectory in terms of finding out who i was you know and what that meant as a boy uh growing up in an adolescent but 
to answer the question, sex is one of those things that need to be ongoingly discussed. Um, it doesn't have to be stigmatized. It doesn't even have to be formalized to the degree where I think it should be up there with a Kanye topic or a Kamala Harris topic or Migos topic or whatever it is. I think it should just be a common dialogue because what happens is I see parents, I see adults on my end who have been shamed, guilt, conditioned to uh, sexual things that have happened. And I have to remind them your sexuality, your past, and it's just a smidget of the totality of your existence, right? And so there were some things that were left out that they were traumatized, but it's that 10% still magnifies the other, you know, 90% that they still, that are, that they're struggling with. So sex ongoing all the time, starting as younger than it was for my generation, uh, and mostly listened to by young people. I think even as adults with our experience, we need to do more shutting up in terms of listening to young people and what it actually looks like from their vantage point. And I think that's a that's a telling sign of kind of what we what we're we're trying to experience with that and having those great conversations, as you said, Dr. Kurt, continually having those conversations. Uh, Ms. Johnson, you broke down how we have to layer those response, what it is, and, and communicate with these uh, with our youth and explain it uh, uh, with their uh, in-state and mind. Uh, and, and I'll ask quickly before we go to our next break, I always see on the internet where you have these, you know, social media dating gurus and, uh, you know, because what we're talking about, we're unpacking some really deep subjects, you know, first sexual experiences, being exposed to sex early, dating outside the, uh, uh, outside the race. We're talking, we've had discussion about, uh, you know, what do we date when we go out of town? And you guys have, you know, uh, Ms. Johnson, you're a, a licensed marriage and family therapist. Dr. Kirk, you, you know, you're a doctor and, and we're having, you guys have all these qualifications, Dr. Tarver, PhD. You guys have all of these qualifications and then wouldn't qualify somebody to be a dating coach that doesn't have all of his qualifications. And, and are they going to be prepared to unpack all of these deep, uh, you know, what I, I think you need some sort of training to go through. What qualifies somebody uh, to be a dating coach? I would like you guys to kind of give me an answer on that before we take another small break. Thank you. Uh, let's go with you, Dr. Kerr. <laughs> so when I think of coach in general, I think of someone who has the ability uh, to get results as a result of connecting significantly with another person. I don't think it's more so based on formal uh, acquisitions and certification, more so than saying, hey, I can uh, assist you on this journey of gaining these results, whether I've had them or close to it, but I can actually hold you accountable and support you at the same time um, as a result of developing a significant relationship with you. And so I think oftentimes when it comes to these gurus and coach, their significance is, 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 is lacking, right? So people would jump on these people for external things and not necessarily connect or resonate with them. I think with anything, whether it's your coach or counselor, you gotta get your person. You have to find a person who resonates with you, who speaks to your inner being. Uh, and then, you know, if they have verifiable uh, lived experiences that they can get you to the end goal, that's great. What qualifies someone to be a coach? I don't know, attorney Winters. Uh, what I do know is that I would, if I was looking for a coach, I would look for someone 
who has results, even if that meant, and especially if that meant they took an unorthodox long route with a lot of trials and tribulations to get there so that I could see the, the, the have-tos and the must-nots and everything that comes with that as a result of developing a significant relationship with them. I appreciate that. Uh, what, what is your take on that, Ms. Johnson? Do you think that someone without all the credentialing that you all have um, can still be successful as a uh, dating coach? So I do. I do think someone can still be successful. I think my issue is that um, some coaches out there are really not separating the two. And for me, that's when it becomes problematic because for me, I am, I understand that someone's lived experience can get you through more than just, you know, my formal training. However, when you're trying to skate between the lines or, or blur the lines, that's when you can do damage to someone. And I think that depending on that person, you know, we don't know how they are coming to you. So I think that you know, coaches with their process and how they vet clients and how they get people in and that readiness for that client to partake in their program is what's really important. So basically that coach's integrity, <laughs> without me saying all the fancy stuff, that coach's integrity is a big deal. Um, and them having the, the understanding and the discernment to say, oh, this person may not be ready for coaching. There's a lot more oozing out, as we talked about earlier, that, you know, needs another, needs another layer of support. And so basically, that's what I, I put. I think that coaching can be less intimidating because it, it can be strength focused, where I think a lot of people will look at counseling as if something's wrong, because that's just how it's been stigmatized for centuries, right? You're crazy. Something's wrong with you. So I think coaching is seen as less intimidating. It's seen as more empowering. It's seen as I already have the skills and this person is just holding me accountable and holding my hand. Um, people are not ready to tap into what's deep seated they know it's there but they're not necessarily ready to tap in it's like okay well let me just get this cute surface level together and then everything else will make sense and then i do think if we you know looked at this as a chart it might lead them back to therapy because again if that coach has integrity they may say there's a lot of things unpacked here that's going to make these kind of you know one two three steps difficult for you as you know evidenced by, you know, your experience or what you put on this here assessment. So um, I do think people can be in the field of date coaching. I do think their integrity is important in that layer, what their experiences were like, and then being able to not do harm and still let someone know, hey, I'm not a good fit for you. I think you need this level of care. And even having a network of people that they work with, with you know, in terms of like collaboration or consultation to, to say, Am I out of my own wheelhouse here? And I think that's that's the the right way because as as this show has progressed and, and as many shows we've done, Dr. Tarver has said it at least a hundred times. <laughs> There's that plug for therapy because that's the truth, and that's what my question was getting at. You know, as a, as an attorney, mm -hmm. but all of this credential I have, when I see these you know social media lawyers who haven't gone a day of law school, who <laughs> clearly don't have the credentialing to be able to be a, an attorney and a counselor at law. No, anybody can read what a law says, but uh, one minute we're infectious disease experts. Now we're constitutional law experts. Now we're, you know, we're federal uh, regulation for the postal service uh, experts. And, and, and that's cool for Monday morning quarterbacking. But when we're talking about helping families build their structure, these family support systems on which you, uh, you work in, Miss um, uh, Johnson and Dr. Kurt, all of the work you're doing with men, we need we need real experts 
taking that butter knife and, and you know, saying, oh, yeah, let me give you a quick trick out of me. It's, it's not going to be fun. I think we have to experience that and, and, and be careful with that line. If our listeners hear anything else, be careful with that coaching stuff if you're not if you're crossing that line into counseling and therapists, uh, you could, uh, I'm sure you could do more damage than you could do good. Um, in this episode of In Our Own Defense podcast, we're discussing Am I Ready to Date with Ms. Janae Johnson and Dr. Kurt. Um, Dr. Tarver and I um, have, we've discussed with them these the terminologies of what a relationship is, what's dating like, uh, what are the challenges with dealing with the, the spatial connection as we're all experiencing some sort of loneliness over to are you ready to date outside our race? We talked about our familiar experiences, our first sexual experiences, and how those uh, impact the dating scene. And we really have just unpacked what makes a dating coach. Uh, we're going to take a, a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to get into some of these deeper dynamics of grief, grief and loss and, and codependency. So you're watching in our own defense podcast, uh, and you're watching this episode of uh, Am I Ready to Date? Dr. Tarvin, I'll be right back. Thank you. 